blows like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of His wind and mercy. When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions, eclipsed by glory, and I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me. And oh, how He loves us so. Oh, how He loves us. How He loves us so. like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of His wind and mercy. When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory, and I realize
I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Tonight we're going to make this studio a sanctuary. What do these things remind you of? There is a preacher, a cross, and a church. I don't know what they remind you of, but they remind me of worship. And that is our subject tonight. We're going to be dealing with worship. And as always, my prayer is that the word and the music will be a blessing to your heart. Now, our scripture lesson comes from Psalm 73. We're going to read about 19 verses, so stay with me. Truly, God is good to the upright, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for they have no pain. Their bodies are sound and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not plagued like other people. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes swell out with fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against heaven and their tongues range over the earth. Therefore the people turn and praise them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Such are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and am punished every morning. If I said I will talk on this way, I would have been untrue to the circle of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I perceived therein. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me for prayer? O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O oh Lord, which art our strength and our redeemer. Amen. My feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. So testified the psalmist when he came to a time when his faith was in retreat. The problem for the psalmist was the prosperity of the wicked, the arrogance of evil. How could the irreligious be so successful and wealthy while the righteous were struggling with persecution. The psalmist simply couldn't understand the material blessings of the ungodly. As I said, his faith was in retreat, which brings up a crucial question. I wonder if our faith has ever been in retreat. For sure, if we are honest, we know it has. My feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. So testify many of us in our society today. Well, how did the psalmist deal with his near collapse of faith? Specifically, he tells us right away. He says he went into the sanctuary of God. He says he went to worship. I went into the sanctuary of God. One Sunday, I was greeting people at the door of the church after the worship service. And one young man came by and he whispered to me something like this. He said, Hal, this past week... I was offered a new job with better compensation, but I decided not to take it. I asked him, why didn't you take that job with better compensation? He said, because it would have meant I would have had to work on Sunday mornings and could not worship in my church. Well, needless to say, I was deeply impressed with that young man, even as he smiled and said it was a good decision for him. The only thing I could think was, may your tribe increase. 
may your tribe increase. Dr. Carlisle Marney described a conversation he had with his father. Detached, his father said, as if speaking to himself, I wish I could just go back to the beginning of my faith life, and then I could keep it solid. Dr. Marney said, Dad, I thought your faith was solid. I would have staked my life on it. His father said, No, my faith has been filled with holes and doubts, and sometime I didn't know. Dr. Marnie said to his father, Then when was it right? His father answered, At the meeting. It was always right when I could get to the meeting. And so you began to see that people come to church, not simply to church swap. They come not out of bad habits or good habits or whatever that means. People come for a different reason. They come to worship. They come to worship. It seemed to me a wearisome task, said the psalmist, until I went into the sanctuary of God. Tonight I want to point out several of the pluses of worship. And I want to suggest that worship is at the heart of the church and all that we are about. First of all, worship enlarges perspective. At least this was the experience of the psalmist. He dealt with his concerns about all these other things. These concerns became so severe that he finally had to go into the house of the Lord. When he went into the house of the Lord, he said he gained new perspective. He said he began to view things from the viewpoint of eternity, and it made all the difference in his life. He said, I went into the sanctuary of God, and then he said, I perceived. I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I perceived. We're told in Luke's Gospel that Jesus was a regular in worship. It was his custom to worship, we're told. Following his experience in the temptation wilderness, we're told that he went back to his home synagogue to worship. Right out there in the wilderness, he was offered power and success and the spotlight and applause. All of these things he could have used to win people to God. But he knew they would be following him for the wrong reasons. And so he went to his home sanctuary, not surprisingly. He went back to his home sanctuary to worship. One of the best therapies I know is simply to go into a sanctuary and be reminded that God is. To be reminded that God is. People today are fearful. They are afraid. People are having all kinds of problems. Just talk to them. Talk to them about the economy. Talk to them about their concerns for the community and the world. Talk to them about crime, about drugs, about all these things. People are terribly concerned and fearful today in our world. Just to be reminded that God is offers a lot of help. To be able to trust that beyond the clouds, the darkness, and the fog, there is still God. There is still God. Many a person like Tolstoy has been lifted by the thought of God. Tolstoy went through a great period of anxiety and depression. Life didn't make any sense. He thought it was just a, a bad time. He even hit a rope, lest he, in an unguarded moment, take his own life. But he came out of his deep anxiety and depression by the thought of God. He kept saying, the eternal God is my refuge. He kept saying that over and over and over again. The eternal God is my refuge. Until finally, he was able to get his head on straight again and to participate in life. Now, what would it be worth to our world to be sure that they would know that there is a God, that above the fog and the darkness and the confusion there is still God. It would be worth a lot. I remember Anne Lamott in her book Traveling Mercies said that she and her son went to church. Her little boy at that time, his name was Sam, and she took him to church. 
And she said, he was the only child at church. So why did she make him go? She said, there were a couple of reasons. She said, first, she could. She was 75 pounds heavier than he could, so consequently she could make him go. But she said, that wasn't the main reason. I wanted him to go because I wanted him to discover what I had discovered, a pathway and a little light to live by. That's what worship does for all of us. It gives us a pathway and a little light to live by. It has something to do with perspective. And all of us need perspective, to say the least. Someone put it this way. When we look within ourselves, we see our weaknesses and get discouraged. When we look around us, we see confusion and get distracted. When we look above us, we see God and get empowered. My word for empowered is perspective. When we look above, we get empowered and we gain perspective. And we gain perspective. Before I move along, let me share with you a story of David Buttrick, the great Presbyterian minister. He told about an African-American woman who lived in the bayou of Louisiana. And he said she had raised a dozen people. And these people that she had raised, these children, were adopted for the most part. And some reporter asked her, why did you take on all that responsibility? And she replied, because a new world is coming. Let me ask you something. How did she ever come to that conclusion that a new world is coming? I believe she came to that conclusion in terms of worship. Someplace in a worship service, she heard somebody say, Behold, a new world is coming. Consequently, it made a difference in her life. Worship gives us perspective. And then secondly, worship connects us to God. Worship connects us to God. Soren Kierkegaard, the great theologian, told a story, a parable, about a community of ducks. These people waddled to church to hear the duck preacher. The duck preacher told a marvelous sermon of how God had created wings for these ducks to do anything. With these wings, they could soar into the great beyond. With these ring, wings, they could accomplish anything that God had set out for them to do. With these wings, they could fly into the presence of God. There was a lot of quacking in that congregation today as people were amening with their quacking. But then they congratulated each other on what a great service, what a fine sermon, as they waddled back home. Isn't that true of many would-be worshipers in our time? They leave church unchallenged and unchanged. Isn't that true? You see, we are people of habit. We go to church not prepared. We don't get ready to go to church generally the night before. We go and there before us is our over-familiar worship service. We're just too familiar with it. And then we hear a sermon that is assumed to be for somebody else. That's assumed to be for somebody else. But occasionally, occasionally something happens. Occasionally something happens. Dr. J. Wallace Hamilton was a premier preacher of the Southland. He preached at an annual conference in Upper State, New York. And he said one day he was going into the sanctuary and he noticed three 10 to 12-year-old boys standing there. And they were looking through the open window, listening to the congregation singing. And as he walked up the steps, one of them said to him, Hey, mister, what goes on in there? What goes on in worship? Indeed, what does go on, on in worship? As I said, occasionally something happens at worship. Worship happens. Here's somebody who's sitting there, and suddenly they're reminded of the majesty of God. Here's somebody who is listening to the Scripture, and suddenly they hear their own story. Here is somebody who's listening to a sermon, and they're drawn to the forgiving 
everlasting love of God in their lives are changed. As I said, sometimes something happens in that worship service. Sometimes worship itself happens. So what goes on in worship? Sometimes there's a serendipity, something unrehearsed, uncontrollable, and it happens in worship. And we ourselves need to be aware of that all the time. So here is the psalmist. The psalmist says, My steps had nearly slipped. He said that everything was going down. But let me tell you, the 73rd Psalm is in the Bible because this psalmist, who was in an emotional slump, figured out a way to get out of it. And how he figured out a way to get out of it was, he said he went to worship. He went into the sanctuary of God and he came out of it. He came connected. You know, on May 24, 1738, something happened that forever changed the continent of America and England. On that date, an obscure man came into being and it left gigantic footprints on both continents. But we're told that this wasn't the first time this man had had a spiritual experience. He had worked with a holy club in Oxford. He had been a missionary to Georgia. But his biographers were saying that all of these spiritual experiences were like a five-watt bulb to a stadium light to this experience. What am I talking about? I'm talking about John Wesley on Aldersgate Street in a little English chapel when he felt his heart strangely warmed. He felt his heart strangely warmed. I want to ask you again, what great benefit would it be for our world to see again the surety of God, the certainty of God above the fog and the confusion and the darkness that there is still God. There is still God. There was a, a man by the name of Tom who came into a worship service and he had dark glasses on and he came and sat down next to a friend named Paul. Paul turned over to him and said, Tom, is that you? Tom said, yes, it's me, but I really shouldn't be here. I think I need to leave. Why, said Paul, the worship is about to begin. We're having communion. He said, I know it, but I need to leave. No, you don't need to leave. He said, but you don't understand. I've had a bad week. He said, I've said some unkind things and I haven't apologized. I argued with Anna all the way to church. I haven't read the Bible in a month. I haven't prayed in a week. I don't think God's too proud of me. What should I do? And Paul looked at him and said, Nothing, it's all been done for you. And then Tom said, Do you think I could take off my glasses? And he said, Sure. You see, worship connects us to God. And then you remember, centuries ago, a man wandered into a cathedral, and he heard a chorus singing, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And he said, In that year I saw the Lord. And seeing the Lord high and lifted up, I saw myself and found myself. We're talking about Isaiah the prophet. He was connected to God. Worship connects us to God. And then thirdly, this other thing. Worship invigorates our greater possibilities. Worship invigorates our greater possibilities. A minister was telling about what happened to he and a friend. He said when they were about 10 years old, they were always racing with each other. One time he won, one time his friend won. And when the other one would get far enough ahead, the other one would just quit. Well, on this particular day, they were racing, and he said suddenly something happened to him. He received a great burst of energy he had never received before, and he said he was just running for all he was worth. He was 100 yards ahead of his friend. His friend quit, and he said he felt exhilarated, 
and he didn't understand what had happened to him till he got home. And his older brother told him, his older brother said, as he explained the phenomenon of second wind, it's when we get renewed energy and strength. This is what I think worship does for those of us who worship. It gives us the second wind of our faith. It gives us renewed energy and strength. It invigorates our possibilities as being a part of dynamic worship. It always does this. In reality, worship is a kind of preliminary event. To be sure, the mission of the church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Well, how do we do that? We do it through the five pillars, worship, invite, care, grow, and serve. You notice what was number one? Worship. Worship enhances everything else. But worship is not the only thing. We're trying to make disciples for the transformation of the world. Worship is essential, but it's not the only thing. So on Sunday mornings, somebody ought to get up before the call to worship service and say, I'm so glad you're here today. Welcome to this service. I'm pleased that you're here. Listen for the possibilities, but don't make the mistake of thinking this is the whole experience. What this person is saying is there's more than worship to the Christian faith, even though worship is at the very heart of this faith of ours. So we need to be mindful of what worship does. Now, what does worship do for us? I think worship does these things. Because we worship, we want to know more. We want to know more about Jesus Christ. If you love somebody, you want to know more about them. Paul said, reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press on toward the goal of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. Because we worship, we want to know more. Secondly, because we worship, we want to do more. We want our faith talk to become our faith walk. We want to walk in this faith as well as talk in this faith. How critical that is as Jesus went into the Nazareth synagogue. He again always renewed his priorities. He always knew that he was to preach good news to the poor, released to the captives, curing the blind, and healing those who were sick. That was his mission. And then because we worship, we want to share more. When I was the pastor of the First United Methodist Church of Dallas, Texas, there was a little boy that came to worship every Sunday morning. And every Sunday morning, he'd come by the door on the way out. And he would always stop and hug me. And then he would give me his offering envelope. You see, he wanted me to know that he had given his offering to God through the church. He just wanted me to be aware of that. And I was so grateful to him. My feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. But then I went into the sanctuary of God. I went to worship. Because we worship. Let us pray. Lord, how grateful we are again for this opportunity of being together. We are thankful for these who are with us, who are watching, who are listening. We ask, O oh God, that you would bless them, each one. We thank you for the privilege we have to worship. And we pray that you would help us to take advantage of our opportunities and to be in worship every chance and every opportunity we have. We want to know you better, to love you more because you've loved us and you know us. It's in your name. Amen. Thank you for watching, and I hope you have a good evening. I'm finding myself at a loss for words and the funny
funny thing is, it's okay. The last thing I need is to be heard. But to hear what you would say, word of God speak, would you pour down like rain, washing my eyes to see your majesty, to be still and know that you're in this place, please let me stay and rest in your holiness, word of God speak. Finding myself in the midst of you, beyond the music, beyond the noise, and all that I need is to be with you, and in the quiet, hear your voice. Word of God speak, would you pour down like rain, washing my eyes.